In the front entrance of this building is a fire alarm pole. Every building in our country that is up to code has one or more of these. And the reason is because fire is a danger. <laughs> uh, fire is as much a danger today as it was back in 1750 when Benjamin Franklin invented the lightning rod as a defense against fire. This morning, we continue the climactic conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna be examining Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. And in this passage, Jesus is going to warn his disciples about a danger. A danger that like fire, poses as much of a threat to us today as it did back in the first century where Jesus and his disciples and the crowd of Jews are all gathered together on the mount overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Last Sunday in Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14, the verses that immediately precede our passage this morning, Jesus urged his disciples and he urged us to follow him, to enter through the narrow gate and to walk the difficult path of discipleship that leads to eternal life. By God's grace, by his grace alone, some of us will indeed do that. We will enter by the narrow gate and we will walk the difficult path of discipleship and following Christ unto eternal life. We will follow Jesus on the narrow path. By God's grace, however, many will not. Many will not enter the narrow gate. Many will opt for the wide path of the world. And while they do, and this is really Jesus' warning to us in our passage today, while people on the wide path are really without remorse, walking upon the wide path, they do so while fooling themselves and fooling churches into thinking that they're on the narrow path. Jesus and the New Testament writers repeatedly and emphatically warn us about false prophets, false preachers and leaders and false followers of Christ, these are imposters who might look like God's people, like his sheep, but in reality, they're wolves, they're predators. So like a building that is arrayed with fire alarms, scripture is replete with warnings over and over again about false Christians. And I think the tendency, at least mine tends to be, well, that was really an issue and a warning for back then. No. The threat is very relevant to us. And it's not only relevant to us in terms of outside viewing false preachers, but even among us are, are some of us fooling ourselves into thinking that we are narrow path disciples when in fact we're not. We just play the part pretty well. It's a sobering passage, but I think also an encouraging one. And so I would invite you to follow along as I read. 
Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. Jesus says to his disciples on the mount, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is a weighty passage. And I pray for the for the right amount of the fear of God to strike our hearts. I also pray, Lord, that your people, followers of Christ on the narrow path, I pray that while being challenged, that we would be greatly encouraged by this passage and that you would hold fast to us Lord, we ask that you'd help us to understand this and to not just be hearers of it, but doers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me for a second. You'll always know when I blow my nose because I sound like a trumpet. And uh, tis the season, it's... Allergy season, sweet mercy. All right. Many people claim to be followers of Jesus on the narrow path of life, but here in this passage, Jesus teaches us how and when and why we must identify false Christians from the true Christians. So our outline for the remainder of our time, I have three points. We'll look at number one, how we are to identify false Christians. Two, when we are to identify false Christians. And three, why we are to identify false Christians. Let's look at number one, how. How we are to identify false Christians. 
Verse 15, Jesus tells his disciples to beware of false prophets. To beware is a present imperative. To beware requires ongoing vigilance against an ongoing threat. This means, as I've already said, Jesus' warning to his first century followers on the mount is just as relevant to his 21st century followers in this room. Beware of false prophets. Beware of those who claim to serve and speak on behalf of God, but they do not truly belong to God. This can be any preacher, teacher, leader, influencer, who dresses the part of a Christian and who speaks the language of a Christian, but who is inauthentic. Theologian D.A. Carson makes a really helpful connection here with verse 16 when he writes this, from a distance, from a distance, the black colored berries on a thorn bush may look like grapes, but they are not grapes. And from a distance, the flowers on certain thistles may look like figs, but they are not figs. When wide path people of the world weasel themselves into narrow path churches and into positions of leadership therein, it is not only subversive, it is dangerous and harmful to the church, to the flock. Like wolves blending in among sheep. So, in order that Jesus' beloved church, his bride, would be kept safe and sound until his glorious return, he teaches us how to identify false Christians. We see him say it twice in verses 16 and 20. He says confidently to us, you will recognize them by their fruits. Let me emphasize that. You will you will recognize them by their fruits. Genuine faith in Christ goes hand in hand with the genuine fruit of Christ. Now, please pay special and close attention to this because the spiritual safekeeping of you and me and this church requires each of us, and I am especially looking at the members of Oaks Church, it requires each of us, the spiritual safekeeping of you and me and this church requires each of us to know how and to be courageous enough to distinguish between true and false Christians. In America today, We've got an array of athletes and actors and politicians who are in the public eye claiming to be Christians. Steph Curry, the basketball player, Chris Pratt, the actor, Donald Trump, Kamala Harris. And in Worcester, we've got Mormons and Unitarians claiming to be Christians. And we've got a number, a growing number right here in Worcester of open-minded churches claiming to be Christian churches. So, 
Are we simply to take their word for it? No, we're not. When an individual, when any individual, any church, any entity claims to be Christian, we must, now under point number one, I have an A and a B. We must A, listen carefully to the faith they profess and B, look carefully at the fruit they produce. We must listen carefully to the faith they profess and look carefully at the fruit they produce. Let's look at A. Point number one, A. We must listen carefully to the faith that is professed by any person claiming to be a Christian. Years ago, I happened to be listening to a well-known radio personality. You've probably heard of him, Glenn Beck. I don't personally know Glenn Beck, but I do know that he claims to be a Christian. He claims to be a devout Mormon Christian. As I was tuned in, a listener called in and asked Glenn Beck if he was a Christian. And Glenn Beck quoted from our passage this morning. Yeah, I am. And you shall know me by my fruits. Now, it may very well be that Glenn Beck is a super duper nice guy who believes and says spiritual things. But as Jesus illustrates for us with the two trees in verses 17 and 18, we see faith and fruit are not mutually exclusive. The faith that one professes informs the fruit that is produced in their life. Remember with me the black colored berries on a thorn bush, they might look like grapes from a distance, but they are not. And so, especially in the case of what I know about Glenn Beck, who is a public spotlight figure, we need to listen carefully to the faith he professes. And here it is, the faith he professes. Jesus is not transcendently divine. Jesus was born because Heavenly Father came to earth and physically procreated with Mary. Jesus is the elder brother of Satan, the elder spiritual brother. The Book of Mormon is as authoritative as God's word. And finally, we human beings, if we play faith right in this life, we'll be gods in the next life. I hope that's easy for you. It should be easy for true Christians to discern that the faith that Glenn Beck professes is diametrically opposed to God's word. So we could continue this. What about Steph Curry, Chris Pratt, Donald Trump, Kamala Harris? They all profess to believe and follow the Jesus of the Bible. But as we listen carefully to the faith they profess, do we see the twofold test here? Let's listen to the faith that's being professed and as they profess it in the public eye, let's watch closely for the fruit. B, look carefully at the fruit they produce. That is, look carefully at the attitudes and actions they embody, 
the people and the practices they support, the things they are outspoken about and the things they are mm, silent about. Now, admittedly, when it comes to people in the public eye, admittedly, we're not in community or relationship with those people. And so our vantage point has its limitations. And we'll consider more about that in a moment. But these individuals that I've just mentioned, they've been in the public eye long enough for us to have a pretty substantial sample of the fruit of their lives. But what about here in Worcester? Let's let the rubber meet the road. What about here in Worcester? How about your coworker or your classmate who claims to be a Christian? Let's take it a step further. How about that pastor and the members of the church that right here in Worcester claim to be Christian? Do they embody the, we can start with this test, do they embody the fruit of the spirit that the Apostle Paul lists in the book of Galatians? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, okay. How about the fruit that Jesus most likely has in mind while he is speaking to his disciples. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter five, verses two through 12, we see that true Christians will in ever increasing amounts prove out their profession of faith by being poor in spirit. True Christians will in ever increasing amounts prove out their profession of faith by mourning sin. That is, by being sincerely dismayed that they sin against God and the sins of the world dismay them. They'll be meek and humble. They'll be hungry and thirsty to live obediently before a righteous God. They'll be merciful toward others. They'll be pure in heart. They'll be committed to the pursuit of peace. When we consider this fruit that will be, according to Jesus, ever increasing in the lives of true Christians, we not only know what to look for over a period of time when someone claims to be a Christian, but it's also no wonder, given this fruit and how rare we see it today, no wonder Jesus calls it the narrow path. Hardly anyone is traveling it. All those in the public sphere claiming to be Christians, Donald Trump, would he pass that test? Kamala Harris, would she pass that test? The person in your cubicle who claims to be a follower of Christ, does he or she pass that test? Jesus is telling us what to look for. And he says to beware. Because church, you might very well, and I am included in this, we might be flirting with disaster by bringing in closer to the flock people who ought not be there. Nowhere near, in fact. When any individual or entity claims to be a Christian, 
we must listen carefully to the faith they profess and we must look carefully at the fruit they produce. This is how we are to identify true and false Christians and it is a dependable process. Jesus, son of God, gave us this process. But it isn't necessarily an easy or quick process and in fact that leads us to point number two when we are to identify false Christians now this will be a shorter point I think though it's important enough to merit being its own point to carefully listen to and to carefully look at an individual who is claiming to be a Christian you guys it requires time time and in most cases not talking about the the people who are claiming to be Christians in the public sphere and underneath the the limelight of easy visibility I'm talking about people here in Worcester we need time with them and we actually need to be in close proximity we need a degree of nearness to really observe to fairly observe to observe over a period of time and not just on a bad day I'm always bothered. I have done this myself, but I'm always bothered when professing Christians make pronouncements about other professing Christians with whom they have had little to no interaction. Like, oh, the coach of that team, he's a Christian. He wears a WWJD bracelet. You don't know that. I mean, he might wear a WW. You don't know him. And neither do I. Oh, the president of that company, He's a Christian. He's read A Purpose Driven Life. I've heard him talk about it. So what? Oh, the principal. Oh, here's one for you all. The principal of that school, she is definitely not a Christian. She doesn't have a Trump sign in her yard. (laughs) Scathing, pathetic, and true. Pathetic about us and how easily and quickly we drop the gavel because of something stupid. Can we please stop with... These sorts of pronouncements that require little to no time and little to no proximity for listening and watching. The process of identifying true and false Christians requires time and proximity. And that means, hear this, we need to be a bit slower. We need to be a bit slower about endorsing, that's a Christian right there, Christian. That right there, nope, not a Christian. We need to just be slower. Just take a chill pill and listen and watch for a period of time. We need to be vigilant in our listening and in our watching. We need to grow and Lord help us to do so. Grow in our ability to discern between true and false and when we have discerned between a true and false Christian, as best as we can tell, Lord, give us the courage to call it what it is. In the first half of verse 21, Jesus tells us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Verses 21, 22, and 23 are some of the most unsettling verses in all of Scripture, and they should be. 
And what Jesus tells us here shows us why we are to be all the more vigilant to identify false Christians. And it leads me to point number three, why we are to identify false Christians. Verse 22, oh my goodness, on that day, Jesus says, when I return, many people are going to say to me, Lord, you're back. We've been waiting for you. It's great to see you. We did. While you've been away, we've been doing a lot of impressive things in your name. We prophesied here and we cast out demons there. And now that you've returned, just like you said you would, isn't it time that we enjoy some eternal life together, right? No. No, Jesus will reply to many people. Verse 23, in all your supposed faith, in all your prophesying, in all your showy appearances of Christian faith, despite the fact that you've prayed out loud on the street corners like the scribes and Pharisees in order for everyone to hear you, despite the fact that you've given offerings and you've fasted in order for everyone to see you, despite the fact that you have dressed yourself in witness wear t-shirts and gone out on street corners and you voted for all the Republican candidates who seemed less evil than the others, despite all of those things, guess what? And hear this, this is, this is unsettling. Despite all of that, I never knew you. I never knew you. You were never broken and contrite before me in your heart over sin. You were never cut to the heart by the good news of my gospel. You were never truly repentant for your sin. You said sorry when you were caught. You may have kept yourself from physically murdering your neighbor, but you clung to anger in your heart. You may have kept yourself from physical adultery, but you were as lustful as the day is long. I never knew you. You never truly have trusted me. You never have truly obeyed my father. You've never truly taken that one extra step when you know you've got this sin that has been in your life for years and years. You know you have the power by my Holy Spirit to overcome it and you never did. I never knew you. Depart. Go the way that your life has always desired to go into the realm of lawlessness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. The heavy ir irony is that depart from me will be the very first time wide path Christians ever truly obey Jesus, they have to depart.
if these scathing words make your heart drop, that's good. That's a good sign. If these scathing words make your soul tremble, that's good. It's a good sign. Because, now hear this, brothers and sisters, only by the Holy Spirit do you even care. Only by the Holy Spirit are you asking yourself right now, do I know God? Am I known by him? Only by the Holy Spirit. Scripture says explicitly, only when the Holy Spirit enters your heart and regenerates you and you are born again, only then can you call upon him as Lord. Otherwise, you wouldn't care. Or you would care on the surface. But not like what I see on the faces of most of my family members right now, which is a pretty mild or major horror. Is it not horrendous? Is it not horrific to think that you and I are in this illustration that Jesus is using? I cannot bear the thought of, and I'm not trying to be pious and front, I cannot even bear the thought of finally getting to look him in the eyes with unveiled face and have him tell me that he never knew me because I was all too quick to come up here and do showy religious leadership, preaching on Sunday, leading worship from time to time, but to have Jesus say, you know what, Chris, I never, you never, ever, crept into the secret place and prayed to me and developed a relationship with me and let me get to know you and you, me in the quiet, secret place of the daily life that I gave to you. Maybe thinking through this passage and it's heavy and it should be heavy. Is there a is there a sin that comes to your mind and mine that we have just cyclically, we've just had no victory in it and we've really not cared too much that we're not gaining victory in it. It's just, it's, it's, just, it's just mild overindulgence of this. It's just, you know, second looks casually at other ladies that I'm not married to. It's, it's just gossip. It's just, I'm sharing prayer requests. Look, if, if something is coming to your mind right now, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Help me to see the urgency. The power of that sin has been put to death by you on the cross, Jesus. Now, by your Holy Spirit, empower me to overcome that sin, to gain ground, victory. I had better be busy putting sin to death in my life or it will put me to death. And the same is true for you. Maybe you're a parent of, 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 of children, younger or older, and you see 
them flirting with both pathways of life. Got one foot over here on the wide path, one over here on the narrow path, and you need to just get the courage to have a conversation with him or her and level out. Look, I think what I have seen, I am coming to you with humility but with courage to say the path that you are on, it is not good. It does not lead where you think it's going to lead. It is going to lead to eternal destruction, not eternal life. And I just need to level with you because he could come back any moment. Maybe you need to have a talk with your kids or compassionately and lovingly addressing a coworker or a neighbor on your street who who thinks he or she is a Christian, they, they claim it, but over the 10 years that you've lived on that street, you've seen no fruit, none, whatsoever. And their profession of faith is just oh, mediocre at best. Here's the gospel, God is love. Okay, he is love, but what about you? A rebellious sinner who deserve eternal condemnation, but Christ, that's, how much God has loved you to send his only begotten son into the world to live, die, and rise the life, to live the life that you have not willfully, disobediently. I want to hear that kind of profession of faith from you. And then trust in the risen Lord who is God, the son who is coming back with glory and power soon to collect his bride who are all walking the narrow path right now. Lord, give us a courage and a love. See, I am so tired of in this city seeing signs in front yards that say in this house, love is love, right? I love people by letting them live however they want all the way down into the grave. That is not love. They've hijacked our word. May we have the courage and the love and the compassion to not only call out in love when we see someone looking a lot more like a wide path follower than a narrow path follower. May we also have the ability to discern ourselves because, well, Peter writes about this, and I don't have it in my notes here. First or second Peter chapter one, he says this, to make your calling and election sure, always checking in on myself, always seeing if I've grown too comfortable with all of these sins that, you know what, the Holy Spirit has empowered me to overcome them, and I'm just settling. I'm just wide path in it right now. Oh Lord, convict us if that's us, and lead us to true repentance. The genuine fruit of Christ will only be produced when genuine faith is professed. If you are tremoring in your heart after this passage, that is a really good sign. And I want to bolster you with another passage from Philippians chapter 1 when Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. He will do it. Allow the conviction to drive you to your knees in repentance as we sing and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to help you this day 
to overcome the sins that cause a lot of us to, to walk with a limp. And that shouldn't be for us narrow path Christians. Let's pray together and then we'll sing together. Well, Father, what a sobering passage. Thank you so much for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that we would, where needed, repent, that we would experience the all-satisfying comfort of the fact that Jesus came to live, die, and rise for people such as us, and that now with the gift of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to go and to sin no more, to be doers of the word today and not just hearers. We don't want to be like the trees that are cut down and thrown to the fire. And you, by your sovereign grace, won't allow us to when our hearts are rent. And so we ask, Lord, that you would do so and that we would believe what we're about to sing, that you will, you will hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail, you will hold me fast. We cling to that and we thank you for Jesus and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.